The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James, and yes, I've been allowed on the show today. As Fulham won 1-0 against Sheffield United on Saturday, my curse on the podcast is over. We're going to be discussing that game and all the ramifications. Can Fulham pull off Great Escape Volume 2? It's looking very, very on after seven points from three games. Not a classic last night, but I couldn't care less as those lads walked off with three vital, vital points. Here to discuss the game today is Adam Farkarson. Evening, Sammy. Farrell Monk. How do, Sammy? And George Cooper. Yeah, Sammy. All right, lads. So, um, hey. well, I'm, de- I'm delighted to be here today. I was really fearing for my future um, because the curse was becoming real. And uh, for a good hour of yesterday's game, I was thinking, oh, no, here we go again. But fortunately, I'm here today. Adam, you've got the three word reviews. What are they saying? I do. So just to your point, just there, Dave Kettlehake came in with Sammy's curse broken. So there were actually <laughs> a lot of three word reviews related to you. I uh, don't want to make your head oh. too big. Um, Charlie Mitchell, could barely Lookman. Very nice. <laughs> Frank Miller's uh, Lookman's steely knifing. Mark Austin <laughs> went in with another excruciating watch, which stands for AEW. Uh, oh, very clever. Kieran McGinley with Geordie's Surely Nervous. Well, they are surely nervous. We'll know the result of their game at Old Trafford probably by the time this podcast comes out. But as we record, uh, there's about 50 minutes until their game in Manchester. So we don't know what's happening. So for the time being, Farrell, we will celebrate that Fulham are within three points of safety. And considering where we were literally a week ago, 10 points adrift of safety, that's a stunning return in a week. Oh, it's it's magnificent. It's probably one of the high points in our Premier League history, one of the one of the best weeks, you know, it feels like our season has finally started to show the benefits of how the team has been performing recently and we're actually starting to to actually show the rest of the league that we're we're actually still fighting and Fulham are are, are a mm. threat to be reckoned with and can actually get three points from a game and you know, all by it that, you know, it is against Sheffield United on Saturday. They're not um obviously a they're not a team that have been um producing a lot of results. They're not a team that has been performing very well. They have a plethora of injuries as well and, you know, they they've had to play much more senior players in their in their team. But they're still they're still a Premier League team and they're a team that haven't been rolled over quite so easily. They've actually lost a significant proportion of the games just by just by a solitary goal. So, you know, it wasn't going to be plain sailing. It wasn't going to be not if and how much. It was actually, can we actually get the victory? And I'm glad that Fulham did. We kept the pressure on for most of the game and thankfully we were able to get that one goal from Adam Ola Lookman. Yeah, a real moment of quality from Lucas. We'll come on to that later in the game. Uh, Coops, um, Scotty made a few changes for this one. He made three changes uh, in total. So he brought back Robinson. Uh, he brought in Anguissa and he brought in Cavalero for Decadova Reeves on the wing. And actually, I know that Cav's got a lot of flack this season when he's played up front, but I don't mind him on the wing. He was effective against Burnley. And, and I think... Were those changes indicative of the fact that it's been the three games in the space of six days and that he needed to use the squad? And fortunately, we do have the players, unlike our opponents who were dropping like flies and even lost Chris Basham yesterday. You do have to feel a little bit sorry for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the strength and depth that we have is something that can't be sniffed at. And Scott mentioned his pre-match press conference, uh, our previous game that against Burnley, that he is going to be looking to rotate and he certainly did that. And I thought the boys that came in put in a very, very good show for themselves. I thought Anguisa looked sparky. As to Cavallero, he was getting shots off and actually hitting the target for once. I know sometimes our shooting as a squad as a whole sometimes can leave a lot to be desired, but he was actually getting shots on. You could tell that Scott said to them, look, we just need to have a really positive 
you know, just throw everything at them. And although the first half was dull as dishwater and it did need that spark, it was at least good to see that we were on the front foot and pressing and being really proactive. And it looked like the boys as a whole were all tremendously up for it. I thought Robinson, you know, showed promise going down the wing, that pace. He's just, he never passes up an opportunity to make a run that lad. I don't know where he gets his energy from, but every time you see him, he just seems to be screaming down yeah. that left-hand <laughs> side. And no, it was great. And I, I welcomed the changes and I thought everyone put in a good shift. And as I said, the, the strength and depth is something that's very promising because quite often when you're in relegation battles, you're, you're resting on such fine margins. You think if I get one, if we get one or two injuries here, we're seriously in trouble. Whereas I feel like this squad, Everyone is singing from the same hymn sheet. Everyone's got the same vision in mind. And it's great that we can bring people in, bring fresh legs, especially when it's such a strenuous fixture list that's coming up. But no, I was, I was delighted overall. Yeah, it was a really, really positive evening. But I mean, Adam, the less said about the first half, the better. I mean, I said on my Twitter at half time, if there was any neutrals still watching Fulham versus Sheffield United, you honestly had to question their sanity. It was one of the worst 45 minutes of football I've seen in a long time. And there's been some pretty bad games involving Fulham this season. And look, the fact that we can stifle the opposition is part of our quality and part of the reason that I think we're suddenly successful. But yeah, the, set, the first half of yesterday took some beating neither side were were covered to themselves in any kind of glory <laughs> yeah it was pretty scrappy wasn't it i, I remember re- replying to your tweets and i was struggling too i was writing the the halftime thoughts and i was thinking what have i thought of this other than i just can't wait until <laughs> you know, the second half can't be any worse so you know it started with scrappy first off it was it, i think scrappy is the best term to describe it because it was two teams that very much needed a result and were fighting for it, but also didn't want to give an inch to the other team. So uh, you already saw Sheffield United deploying a low block throughout the penalty area. That did hamper our um, you know, excitement a little bit. But Fulham did keep trying. Um, I did, did see that, you know, we were still taking long shots. You know, most of our chances came from long shots, but there were no kind of clear-cut opportunities in the entirety of the first half. Uh, I was excited by the fact that we were still, you know, attacking from the wings, which is something we haven't seen too much of. And I think Cav being out there did help a lot. They weren't always cutting in. But what we did notice, it, it seemed really strange to me, is that we were only attacking down really the right-hand side for most of that first half. We were pretty much ignoring Robinson's runs, and we weren't really getting the ball into Lookman as much as we could have done. We've seen how much of a danger man he is for Fulham. So as soon as we started getting the ball to him a little bit more often, um, magic did start to happen. Uh, speaking of that right-hand side, Farrell, I just want to talk about Ola Aina because he is fast becoming one of my favourite players on this team. Um, I saw someone write a tweet, which was um, Ola Aina is what everyone wants Dennis Adoy to be. Um <laughs> He is a bit of a Premier League version of Dennis Adoy. Can play on the left, can play on the right. Um, I think he's pretty solid defensively. I didn't think that earlier in the season when he, I remember they had that game against Everton where he had a literal nightmare. But since then, I think he's pretty solid defensively and his attacking output isn't so bad either. He had a good shot yesterday. Obviously, he scored against Burnley, scored earlier in the season against West Brom and he's just Mr. Versatile, really. And always doing a job for us whenever he's put in the side. Yeah, I'm glad you actually brought him up because it was uh, the performance yesterday from Oleina is, and it's kind of indicative of a lot of his performances throughout the year that it's, it, you know, he's been getting better and better as the season's gone on. And um, I find that when he's put into a new position, there's a bit of kind of like an immediate like, oh, would he be able to do a job there? And then someone comes out by saying, oh, he used to play there at Torino, for example, or he played there in his youth uh, games at Chelsea, for example. And, it, you know, I'm struggling to think of what, about where his natural position is. And the, the funny thing about Aina that I find when I'm watching him is that he produces some unbelievable first touches, but he also produces some really, really wayward, iffy, hilarious touches at the same time where they kind of like, like really, really like that a ball is like rolled to him really, really smooth and no one around him and he'll let it roll under his foot and almost go out for a throw in. And then there are other times where he completely skins um, a player, you know, his opposite number on the wing with an amazing first touch as well. So I'm just like, if you could just get rid of those hilarious ones, I mean, it's entertaining for sure. And 
but you know you don't really want to be doing it when you you know when you're in such a in such a huge game um but yeah i i think he's come on leaps and bounds it took him so long it took him quite a little time to get into the system and you know i was i i was struggling to think like what his favored uh, foot is because sometimes he'd again he would play things really really well with his left foot and then try something else with his left foot and it'd be terrible and then the same thing with his right foot and you know it's i think you know he started to sort of weed out those little things here and there but you know it's it's great that he fits into so many positions he is an he must be an absolute dream for scott parker um the fact that he's he's fit and able to play in so many positions especially since we've had to rotate quite a lot of the team um you know we we don't tend to uh, stick with the same uh, same starting eleven. I think against uh, Burnley on uh, on Wednesday was the first time that we'd kept the same starting eleven for some time. So it was no yeah. surprise that he changed it up a little bit. So you know, having a player like Ole Enia uh, available to do that must make it a bit easier for Scott Parker to do those. And, and yeah, I think it, it it's one of the you know more positive aspects of this squad. Hundred um, percent. I'll come on to Adam to someone that maybe didn't have such an effect, particularly in the first half. Um, Josh Madger. I think after the Everton game, I was expecting him to give uh, Mo Salah a run for the Golden Boot. Um, hasn't quite turned out in that way in the Burnley and and Sheffield United games. And um, if you look at SW6 stats on Twitter, they did the Fulham versus Sheffield United pass map, and in the first half. There are so few passes to Josh Madger that his number doesn't actually register on the map. Um, He came a little bit more into it in in the second half, but I was maybe thinking yesterday that actually it was a game where it would have potentially suited Mitro a lot. A low block, we could have got crosses in and he could have maybe held the ball up a little bit better than Josh Madger. I think Madger has got a big part to play in this team, but I think it's as part of a striking partnership squad rotation rather than him being the man every single game that's going to get our goals to to, to keep us up yeah I, I personally thought that I felt quite sorry for Josh Madger in really both of our last games because he's obviously come off scoring those couple of goals um you know he was on a high and I did you know I was I was with you he's going for the Ballon d'Or this year but unfortunately <laughs> it hasn't turned out quite that way I but I do want to look at similar forwards to himself as well. So if you look at like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he doesn't necessarily get involved in the play that much. And if you think at some of the best poachers in the league, they don't get involved in all of the play. But when they when it does count, they have to be on their toes. And I think whenever the ball was played into him, he seemed to do quite well with it. He held it up quite well, but he maybe wasn't coming back as far. Maybe that was um, Parker's instructions to him to you know, stay on his toes. And we were taking a lot of long shots. So maybe we were hoping that one of them would ping off to him, but he wasn't yet yeah, having his best first half, came into it a little bit more in the second. But imagine a partnership of Mitro and Madger with the fact that Mitro could be able to hold up that ball a little bit, um, you know, pass it back into him or even just taking some more shots that again, he'll be there to poach in uh, for us. But yeah, he's not fitting into the system in games where maybe we have a little bit more possession. I think it's, you know, and we get lucky breaks that he's really going to come into his own. Yeah. Uh, and Coops, what did you think of, of Loftus-Cheek yesterday? He continues to divide the fan base, but I do think when he plays that number 10 role and then you get the likes of Lookman and Cav on the wing, it does make us more effective as a unit. I think the return of Tom Kearney, and hopefully that's in the next month or so, will be welcome. But I think Loftus-Cheek is doing all right. And and yesterday, actually, he very nearly could have got himself a goal. And and I felt like yesterday would have been a great moment for him to to get on the score sheet. He's just one of those players that maybe just needs a, a little boost and something like a goal would help his game because I think it would give him a lift of confidence. Yeah, he seems to me to be very much a confidence player and I too have been screaming out. I desperately want him to get a goal because I've said this before, I feel like he's become a bit of a scapegoat at times just because everybody knows what he's capable of and we haven't seen anywhere near that level. His link-up play is brilliant. I thought he had a really good game yesterday and... Yeah, I just think the thing with him, I feel that he always seems so flat-footed when the ball comes to him in the box. And maybe that's just because he's not on a a scoring run and he's not particularly on form 
in that regard. But he just seems to be, he just needs to be a little bit more on his toes. It's just, it's really frustrating because yeah. a player like that, he needs, he needs to be getting goals. He needs to be on in confidence to be firing on all, on all cylinders. But I think, I don't think he deserves a lot of the criticism he gets, to be quite honest, because I do agree with you. He links up the play well and we look as a unit a little bit more sort of toothy, however you want to call it, when when he is playing. But it'll be interesting to see who Parker goes with when Kearney is back and he's fit because I think he's got a bit of a decision on his hands. I mean, you've got to give him a go, I guess. But yeah, it was a promising performance. But I think if he gets a goal against Palace or gets a goal in our next few games, then the floodgates could potentially open with Loftus' cheek. I think, as I said, he's a confidence player and a few goals would do him the world of good. And then hopefully we can see what he's really capable of. But I'll just reiterate that point. I do I do think that he gets a bit of unjust stick sometimes because it was a, it was a good performance yesterday. But he just needs to, yeah, a, a goal would do him the world of good. We just need to not play him on the right-hand side anymore. Like, I think that is it. I mean, surely now, especially now we've worked out that Cav's quite a good option out on the right. We've got enough players on the right. We've got Pateka Dover-Reed. We've got Cav. If you need him to be on the right-hand side, then you haven't quite got your thoughts right here, Scott. Like, he works in the middle. I don't mind him in the number 10, but let's just not see him out on the right anymore. Yeah. Um, let's come on to the goal. And, um, Faz, it was... An unbelievable pass from Joachim Anderson. That's the main thing to be said here. The defending from Ethan Ampadu is shaky at best, but Lookman profits from a bit of luck, maybe a bit of poor defending more than luck, uh, and slams it home. But short for me, the credit has to go to Anderson because that is a wonderful pass. Yeah, it's it's an absolute raker from, from Anderson and something that <laughs> he's... he's um, He's very capable of, and we've seen it quite a lot with some wonderful cross-field balls, but that's probably the first one that he's attempted, or one of the very few that I've, I've seen attempted, where he tries to go sort of slightly of a shallower, direct ball over the top. And I, I, it must be something that we don't, that Parker decides that we shouldn't do too much of, but maybe we're just, we're just such a good team at just picking our moments. You know, we... Parker, and rightly or wrongly, does get criticised for a lot of his attacking play being, you know, a bit too conservative. We're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to be too aggressive and we're not, well, we're not aggressive enough, basically, at trying to sort of break through the lines and and uh, be a bit more creative. And But maybe we're just a team that just pick our moments. You know, we slow the play down, we make, we try and create good opportunities for people. And that's probably why we don't, you know, we, we're not, you know, we don't want to be too predictable by trying every single time a ball over the top for a Lutman or a Cavalero or for a Madger. And we just pick our moments. And, you know, as far as I can remember, that was the first time we even attempted that. And it comes off beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. Ampadu does make it's It's not good. They'd obviously train to make sure that, you know, Lukman isn't cutting back in on his right foot, but he allows him to. And, and uh, Lukman absolutely thunderbolts it underneath Ramsdale, who was having a particularly good game. You know, Peter Rutzer talked about it on the podcast in the week about how Ramsdale, when he was covering Bournemouth, was their player of the, player of the season. He had a very good year and he's actually not been too bad this season. He didn't really have a, he had a particularly good game yesterday, but, you know, he's going to be disappointed he's allowed that to slide right through his through his legs. Um, but overall, I, I'm, I'm pleased that we did try something different and it came off. Just on Anderson as well, there was a clip I saw on Twitter of him and Aina's reaction to the goal. They both go nuts and it was beautiful <laughs> to see and so encouraging, you know, what it meant to the players to get that goal because it was so tight and it was such a scrappy, nervous game and just that relief. And you saw it in Scott as well. Uh, Anderson is a leader. I absolutely mm. love him. He's in the acquisition of the season, in my opinion. And yeah, yeah that reaction was really special and it just shows that everyone is you know, playing for each other, playing for the manager. And that's what we need if we're going to get out of this relegation dogfight. And he's hella good looking too. So I'm, oh, I'm all for him. Yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful, he's a, he's a very good looking chap. So I think he he, improved, he improves our team just, just for the looks of the marketing and maybe attracts more fans to come down as well. Yeah, we digress. We've got quite a good looking team as a whole, I think. Loftus-Cheek's 
He's a looker as well. He's a Burberry model, you know. Anyway, we digress. Sorry, Sammy. Carry on. <laughs> no, that's fine. I remember Lydia Campbell being very excited when we signed uh, Joachim Anderson um, back in August um, on the uh, on the Fulhamish WhatsApp. I mean, what I was really impressed with as well, speaking of Anderson, I, I think, you know, it's really easy to get carried away with people's social media, etc. But the way that a lot of the loanees in particular speak after games and Anderson, I think comes to mind the most about this team, the desire to stay in the league. And we're supposed to think as fans that loanees don't care. They're mercenaries who just want to use you for either a bigger move or a place back at their parent club or just for the money because they want a bit of first team football. But I get the impression, Adam, that so many of these loanees from Anderson to Lookman to Ariola and all the others that they really, really care and want Fulham to stay up. There could be an element of they probably feel like if they do keep Fulham up, then they've probably got a permanent prem move on the case. But in the likes of Anderson and Ariola in particular, I think they've done so well this season that they've got a prem move anyway, but they seem to want this to happen really badly. And to me, it seems authentic. Maybe I'm, maybe I've got the wall pulled over my eyes. I don't know. No, I agree with you as well. I do think that, you know, things are a little bit different with the loanies this year. And I think we've seen a lot from other clubs as well where, you know, players go there on loan and maybe they don't quite fit in and it's like, it doesn't really matter. They'll just be back at their parent club. Uh, But harping back to the season where we actually did get relegated last time, we bought a lot of those players outright and they still didn't want to be here. Um, So it is actually a large part to do with, you know, the team spirit that Scott has built. I think one of his strongest attributes at the moment is his man management in the fact that he does have everybody pulling in the same direction. It's not just about the social media posts. It's about not just the performances on the pitch as well. It's the fact that they all want to support one another. But, you know, Ariola's putting his legs on the line. I think they're pretty important for a goalkeeper. But if he was worried about his career next season and where he was going to be, he didn't show that yesterday. He was really just putting everything on the line for Fulham, as have the rest of the rest of the lads so yeah really excited about our loanies none of them have looked like they don't want to be here next season so hopefully they can keep us up and we can keep some of this squad intact um coops maybe one disappointment with yesterday apart from the god awful first half was <laughs> how fulham i thought reacted to being one nil up it was against the sheffield united that was depleted they'd even lost basham right like they've lost um they'd lost Egan the week before now they've lost Basham like basically they were sitting ducks and I thought that Fulham just didn't really produce too much of note after the first goal there was a couple of moments I think Aina had a had a shot and in stoppage time Lamina maybe had a chance but I was just disappointed that we didn't go for the second, went for the third, and it invited pressure on us. And we'll come on to a couple of the chances and the penalty shouts in a minute. But I thought Fulham were nearly masters of their own downfall because this was a Sheffield United side that we really could have gone and got a second and a third and made it comfortable. But I don't know if it was our mentality or if it was anything that Sheffield United did, or maybe we were just tired. But why do you think that Fulham just kind of almost seemed to, as far as a us watching it take their foot off the gas yeah I was worried for a while that it was going to be shades of the West Brom game where we had many opportunities just to pick them off but to be honest it it kind of reminded me of Fulham's performances last year where we'd go 1-0 up and then just grind out a result and at the end of the day we got the three points so it doesn't really matter but I think we were more positive than that I think we were trying it was just hard to break down and as I say, it took that moment of magic and that spark from a bit of luck, actually, from Lookman to get through and just that sheer determination to get the goal. And I, I think we w- were trying. It's just, I mean, we've, our attack is just, it's never, we've never really found that fluidity and that form. And we, we're not a team that's just going to be creating chance after chance. I don't, I don't particularly think that we took the foot off the gas and made that decision just to, go with the game management and see the game out. Overall, Sammy, I'd have to say I was I was quite happy. It, I mean, don't get me wrong, my bum was flapping for the last 10 minutes, like <laughs> nothing you'd ever imagine. But by and large, I was quite happy in the way we just tried to constrict the game, game management, see the game out, try and limit their chances as much as possible. Yes, it invited pressure, but I don't... There was, apart from the last minute when Ariola made that save, there was wasn't really any sort of time that I was like, right, we're going to concede here. I 
by and large, I thought it was a well-executed game management strategy. Um, Farrell, let's come on to the penalty incident. And obviously, as our former referee, you're, you're like our equivalent of um, Peter Walton uh, here on Fulhamish, Farrell. You know, you used to ref a little bit, so we'll stick you in a truck uh, any time that there's a, as a dodgy decision. Um, I, at the time, I didn't even think that could be a penalty. And then Graham Souness came out and said he thought it could be a penalty also made a completely flawed point about that's why no English referees are at the last world cup. Although actually it was just because Clattenburg finished halfway through a season and it was very much a technicality while, while we didn't have an English referee at world cup. But anyway, let's not get too hung up on that. Um, match of the day seemed quite adamant that it was a penalty. Chris Wilder was fuming that it wasn't, although you'd expect him to take that point of view. And, and Twitter seems to be kind of split on it and I still don't really see it but maybe you do um I don't think it's a penalty um I'll get that out straight away I mean I would I have never ever seen a penalty given for anything like that in the past uh, I don't think there's any sort of comparison to say well look at that one that was given um I'd I'd be happy to prove to be proved wrong and if you can show me some footage of a of a of another penalty that was given for a similar thing then yeah. But I mean, he com- Ariola completely wins the ball first. Um, and then there's a coming together. It's a 50, 50, you know, they were both like, you know, if it, it, it was a bit kind of, it was correct to give a foul for Ariola because Jaden Bogle was the matter person coming in and, you know, he doesn't get to the ball first. Ariola does. And then he goes into Ariola. So that's the way round it happens. If Bogle gets the ball first, then absolutely it should be a penalty. But that's just not what happens. And, you know, you missed out one particular person who really sort of got to me after the game as well was Graham Souness was, at, you know, like when he was talking about, you know, the English refereeing and how bad it is and all this kind of stuff. And he can see the footage. He, he should know the rules. And as an expert pundit, he should know the rules and why fouls are given and not given. But he, he doesn't seem to. And I, I you know... He's he was a person that we were kind of like me and my friends were like talking about uh, before the game. And he was actually being quite nice about Fulham for the first time ever. And this is a person who who went in that um, championship run in Division One uh, when we when we got promoted all the way back in 2001. He wasn't very happy about Fulham at the time. You know, he was sprouting off about how Blackburn, the team he managed, were the best team in the league and Fulham were just pretenders and whatnot. And he's never been good about us. So I think at the end of it, it's just a leopard showing his spots. And he was just trying to sort of, it's still, we're still living in his cranium. And I'm, I'm happy that he was so riled up about a decision that was ultimately correct. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that got me is he said, he said anywhere else on a pitch and that's a foul. Where else on a pitch do you see a player blocking the ball like that? Like a goalkeeper does. It's like hands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in what other way? If, uh, yeah. If, if someone was slide tackling you like that with both legs in the air, trying to block the ball, then you would be thinking that's a strange thing to do in the center circle. <laughs> but like, he's a goalkeeper for God's sake. I was just didn't understand it. But uh, well, I mean, Coops um, and Adam, I presume neither of you thought it was a penalty or do, did either of you actually see where maybe uh, Wilder, Sooners match the day were coming from? I just think you look at any... 50 one-on-one challenge between a centre forward or attacking player and the goalkeeper and you, you get those clashes you get those coming together the goalkeeper makes himself big now as a, I speak as a former goalkeeper myself you just close your eyes spread eagle and just hope for the best and it only happens in the box it only happens in those situations as soon as this comparison you know as you said anywhere else on the pitch is totally irrelevant I was. I would have been. Apparently, it did go to VAR, and they immediately sort of dismissed it. But I think if you had another VAR ref and you really scrutinised it, you probably could present an argument. Look, it's one of those fifty-fifty ones. You have them go for you, have them go against you. We were lucky, but ultimately, I think it was the right decision. It wasn't a penalty, but yeah, it's just the world we live in now. Is that I think with VAR, you can scrutinise something. If you look hard enough, you will find something. But no, it wasn't a penalty for me. 
it's not a penalty, but it's also the fact that if we start giving penalties for things like that, what a goalkeeper's meant to do, take a step back when they see a one-on-one coming. Like exactly. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's going to start ruining the game. And I, I think that Chris Wilder, his comments after the game were inflammatory at best, but also what would he do if Ramsdale was looking at a one-on-one? Say to him, oh, you should definitely pull out of that one. Don't want to be giving penalties away. I, I think it's uh, yeah worth looking at in the context of future games as well. The other thing yeah. that really that really annoyed me about it was the whole sort of like the sooner we I, I can't remember who said it exactly, but they were talking about how um, the sooner that they get ex ex pros refereeing games, the better, which is complete <laughs> madness. No, it's absolute madness to think that to think that I mean there might be some the, the same way that there might be some ex pros that are good that are good pundits, but as we know, a lot of them are not. And the same goes for for them take, taking up a completely different job, you know, to to playing football is actually refereeing football matches. The, you know, the referee looked at it, decided it wasn't a penalty. VL looked at it, decided it wasn't a penalty. Like, listen to the experts in the situation, not not Gren Sunes, basically. But also, Farrell, there is no law, unless I'm mistaken, that stops an ex-pro going and training and being a ref, starting at the bottom, working his way up to the pro game. As far as I know, the option is very much there. If any of them want to do it and earn £30,000 a year or whatever that you do being a League Two, League One ref, like, you know, on the way up, if they want to do that and put in the hard yards, they're more than welcome to. But of course they won't because they can be paid stupid amounts to to sit on sky in a nice comfy studio or they can just go and buy all the property in the world and live comfortably for the rest of their lives so of course they won't right we're going to take a quick break there and then afterwards we've got a load of your questions to get through this is an advertisement for better help a portal for finding online therapy what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day would you go for a run would you read more fulham transfer rumors Whatever it is, one thing that many of us have in common is wishing that we had more time. And therapy can be a place to help you work through what matters to you so you can have more time to do it. Therapy is great for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the very best version of yourself. It's not just for those who experience major trauma. And if that's something you're looking for, that's where BetterHelp can come in. BetterHelp is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. They'll match you with a UK mental health professional with a wide variety of expertise. There's no referral needed and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, giving you complete control over the whole experience. And Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish. That's betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish to get 10% off your first month. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Farrell Monk. Ahoy hoy. Adam for Carson. All right. And George Cooper. Hello. Let's go to some questions. But before we go to some questions, this isn't necessarily anything I want your opinion on other than it just really made me laugh. Uh, so Jake Wilgos put in the Fulhamish Kofi Backers Facebook group. He said, unbeknown to me, as she was in a separate room, my missus kept a log of my <laughs> sayings throughout tonight's game. The ups and downs <laughs> of being a Fulham fan, I guess. And so these were all the things that he said during last night's game. Shoot. Fucking shoot. Ah, go on. Shoot. <laughs> fucking hell. Ah, shoot. Ah, shot, shot, shot. Ah, fuck off. Ah, yeah. <laughs> fucking gamble. Yes, get in. And then fucking have that. Were all the things that he said in that game. So, Jake, thank you very much for say, uh, for sharing. And uh, I, I imagine many of the uh, similar sayings were going on in your living rooms, wherever you were watching it last night. Yeah, I think go on is my most used phrase at any point in time. <laughs> it's just literally just like as soon as a Fulham player gets the ball, like we literally might be a centre back. It's go on. And then like the, the excitement when you got Yakim Anderson on the ball. Go on. So there's, there's, I don't know if you've ever watched. I don't know if you've ever watched games with stadium sounds on. I turned it off a while ago, but they seem to have most of the things covered. The one thing they don't have covered is that collective go on when a player is fed through behind the defence. That <laughs> go on. They haven't got that mastered yet. 
some things there are some things in life that robots just won't be able to imitate and that go on when someone's played through on golf owl is just one of those it's a natural (laughs) instinctive live audience thing that just can't be replicated i've got a good one sammy so what i because obviously i've moved into your old flat like a weird kind of fulhamish hermit crab but (laughs) you'll know that i've you know we're on the ground floor we've got people below us people above us yeah my girlfriend tells me that when Fulham score, my yes for celebration <laughs> sounds very loud and aggressive. So she says I could only, and it's just, it comes out, you know, you don't think when Fulham score, but she yeah. says that afterwards I have to make some lighthearted cheering noises to ensure our neighbours are <laughs> <and> below <laughs> us that we're not having some horrible domestic. So <laughs> I go, yes! And then I'll go like, woohoo! Like, make some, like, <laughs> just to assure people that nothing horrible is happening. But yeah, that's that's my life as a Fulham fan. Well, um, Coops, if I remember anything correctly, the people that live downstairs are Newcastle fans. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one goes on as the season wears on. Drink um, their tears. Drink their tears. <laughs> right, let's come on to some questions. Um, Faz, I'll start with you. This one's from Michael Fernando. Went to Instagram for questions today, by the way. Don't normally do Twitter, but um, great questions from the Instagram crew. So thank you. Uh, Michael Fernando asked, how is Anguisa so good at football, but so bad at shooting? Oh, God. Terrible. Um, as someone with lived experience of that, I can tell you it's very easy. Um, he, <laughs> I, he's just, he's such a majestic football angrieser. I, I love watching him play. He was off the boil fairly recently. And I think this harks back to Coops a bit earlier when he's talking about, actually, when you think about it, you've actually got pretty good depth in of the fact that, you know, pretty much most people on the pitch, if they do have a bit of loss of form, we are able to rotate a little bit. And, you know, if Anguisa does go off the ball a little bit, like we sort of were able to have to get Lamina and Reed uh, um, in there. But yeah, Anguisa is a, a just a wonderful football to to watch. He always seems like he's just about to lose the ball and then will just flick it over someone's head and get his body in the way. And, you know, they, I don't think I've seen a, a statistic. You know, he's obviously got like, he had the most amount of take-ons, completed take-ons in the, in the game. Well, I think out of any Premier League player, this weekend or something. But I wonder if there's statistic about how many times he was able to beat a man just by flicking the ball over their head. They just didn't seem to like, they didn't seem to like gotten onto it at all. Um, I, I, to be honest, if he keeps doing what he's doing, I'm, I'm okay with the shooting being so bad because I don't want it to deplete one of his other amazing abilities really. Mm. Um, Jack on Twitter, Jack Collins, uh, said Anguisa flicks the ball over a player's head about five times a game. And every time I think about how much of a power play it is, actually so rude. It's the kind of thing I do when keeping a ball away from my little cousins in the park. He's doing it in the Premier League to professionals. And he does it all the time. And you're just like, how can you keep how can you keep getting away with this? Like, honestly, someone's gonna like take your legs out because it's actually just plain disrespectful um right let's come on to the next question and i really like this one i'll go to you adam uh connor daly says if it all comes down to the last day of the season against newcastle will our playoff final experience count now that to me is not a bad point at all if there's anything that i think this fulham team has grown in the last few years is that when it comes down to it, we've got some bollocks now. Like we've played two finals and one, and we've also won some pretty important matches over the years. And that's something that Newcastle won't really have. I'd like to agree with you. Never, never forget the name of this podcast is Fulhamish, which is the inevitable ability to continually fuck things up when you just yes. don't want us to. <laughs> but I do think that, yeah, we our big game experience will help us in the future in the fact that I do think that the build up and everything that we've put into that um, will help us when it comes to that game. But it's still a home game for Newcastle, regardless of whether there's fans or not as well. They do feel apparently comfortable in St. James's Park. So it's a great cottage, be- mate. Oh, Fair enough. Right, completely ignore that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's going to be fine then. <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. We're staying up. Um, it's official. Right. Um, Arthur Duke says, I'll go to you on this one, Coops. Does Cav at right wing make our strongest 11? Potentially a bit harsh on Deckard Overread, but I don't mind him there. I know you said earlier you rated him. I thought he had a very... Good game yesterday, mate. Two ways, no two ways about it. However, for me, Decadover Reed, I prefer 
just because he can hit the target. <laughs> I mean, Helps. I'm going to leave it at that, I think. But yeah, I don't want to slag off Cav because he, he never gives anything other than 100%. And yeah, he's he's improving. But for me, Decker Dover Reed, um, a right makes up our strongest, I reckon. Um, Andre Basile on the Kofi Backers Facebook group raises more of a point than a question but I thought it was uh, interesting said Fulham have eight points from the top seven teams and only two points from the next seven teams uh, including Tottenham who were near the table top of the table at the time Um, Farrelly says why do you think Fulham have played um, the top of the league so well and the middle so poorly I'd also add that to the fact that I don't think Fulham have been that impressive in the game's against the teams around us, but we have managed to get some results, but we were poor against West Brom, poor both times against Brighton, not great against Burnley and mm, okay against Sheffield United. Like we got the job done, but actually there is, does seem to be something about Fulham seem to be turning on for some of the big games against the big teams and putting in impressive performances in those games. And yet against the teams that we should be beating okay sometimes we're getting the results but I'm not always that impressed by the performance I mean that's basically Fulham of the last couple of years really um yeah and like I've said this actually quite a few times when when people have been talking about that game against Burnley such a massive one definitely need a result there and I mean I've, I've said it quite a few times myself I don't I don't necessarily see that because I see Fulham as being a team that is capable of beating any team in this league maybe apart from Manchester City. Um, so, you know, I'm going into the games against, you know, Everton or, you know, maybe against Crystal Palace next week and then Spurs the week after. Um, I've seen like, well, every game, you know, we've got 13 games to go. I see every game for the rest of the season as cap- as Fulham capable of getting a result, um, maybe even a win, because we're, we are actually pretty bloody good. You know, we're not looking at just the Sheffield United games, just the West Brom games as our opportunity to pick up points. I, I I firmly believe that. And that kind of shows in, you know, where we've got our wins this season. It's it's actually quite nice to actually say wins with the plural for, for what seems yeah. like quite a long time, really. Uh, but yeah, like I, I just it's. You know, we are a solid Premier League team now. We are capable of getting the wins. We are capable of dominating teams with, you know, with much who are much higher up in the table than us. And I just don't I just don't necessarily believe that we should be looking at just the teams around us about where we're going to get pick up points. And that's kind of showed, really. Well, yeah, we've got Liverpool in a couple of weeks. That's probably the easiest three points of the season. Looking, <laughs> yeah. at, uh, look, looking at things at the moment. Um, Pressure's on Liverpool, you know, for that for that game. They've what they've lost like four on the bounce at Anfield. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, they yeah, got yeah. they have Chelsea at Anfield, I think, before they play us. Because I don't know if anyone saw, but the fixtures are quite weird in the next few weeks. We now play Spurs next Thursday and then face Liverpool on the Sunday but Liverpool also play on that Thursday against Chelsea because as soon as I saw that I remember thinking oh that's bugging us for the Liverpool game then because we're going to have three days rest while they have a week but actually they also play on that um, Sunday and the reason our game has moved is because Spurs are in the Carabao Cup final in late April which means that for quite a long time in the season you know we're going to be looking against ourselves against teams like Newcastle, Brighton, Burnley we're going to have played an extra game over all of those sides for at least a month which will make things harder again for people to realise who's where because we're always going to be worried about Newcastle's game in hand or Brighton's game in hand etc. Final one um, from Max-ish because he called Maxish, <laughs> hilarious. Um, okay, he says Maja or Mitro. Um, I'm going to go to all three of you on this. Um, it's Crystal Palace next Sunday. Uh, Mitro should be back in contention because uh, his COVID symptoms hopefully have passed by then. And you know, fingers crossed, he is fit for the game. We don't know, but let's assume that he's okay. Um, do you play Maja or Mitro, Farrell? I'll start with you. Um, next weekend, I would play Madger. Um, I don't think it will take a game or two for Mitro to come back again. A, f- a fully fit Mitro um, and a fully fit Madger, I think that's a bit more of a close close run thing, but it will probably take Mitro a few games to get back in. But I mean, we know what Mitro is about. He'll come on and he'll be he'll 
play like an absolute ox as if he hasn't been away from, from football for ages. But I mean, for next weekend, it's, I, I, I can't imagine Mitro will go straight back into the team. Coops? I too agree with Farrell and I go for Madger. I feel like he's been a little bit sort of unlucky and he's shown signs of promise in his, in his last two games, despite that sort of coming straight out of the blocks against Everton. And I feel the way that, yeah, I, I, I'd go with Madger, essentially. I don't think, I think Mitro needs a few appearances coming off the bench before we think about starting him just because he hasn't, you know, he hasn't looked fit all season, to be honest. So I think it'd be a risk to start with Mitro straight off the back of, you know, the illness. So Madger for me. Clean sweep, Adam? Yeah, I'd agree. I just, I do look forward to a day one day when we can see both of them starting for Fulham. As I well, agree. Because I do think yeah. that that will actually, you know, reap its rewards. But for the minute, we've got to be sticking with uh, Madger because we, we've all seen the impact that COVID can have on players as well with even the likes of Anguisa. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see when they're both fit, if we can get both of them playing in the same team. Magic X Mitro flames emoji. Right. Um, <laughs> final uh, one from Elizabeth. I know I said final, but this one here. Uh, her first question is, are we staying up or are we staying up? I feel like you've answered your own question there, Elizabeth. Uh, her second question is, how does Sammy feel about the curse being broken? Uh, Elizabeth, I'm absolutely delighted. Uh, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was very, very worried going into this game. Um, I haven't had a league win uh, to talk about on the podcast since the playoff final um i think maybe i did a couple of um that's not even that's not even the league that's like tournament football so what was the my last one maybe when we beat well i wasn't i wasn't on the one after we beat sheffield wednesday actually either and then we drew against wigan so i think it's probably like the cardiff win or something like that i can't exactly remember the order of the games towards the end of the season but yeah you're like you're like when gareth bale didn't didn't get a victory for spurs when he first joined Uh, honestly Maybe you've got some potential, mate. Otherwise, we'll have to ship you out to Birmingham. Maybe, maybe. I mean, hopefully it's not just a flash in the pan and maybe we go on a a clear run of wins. I'm also doing the podcast next Sunday after Palace, so uh, we'll see what happens then. But yeah, no, I am pleased because I think my mentions would have been unbearable last night if we didn't (laughs) win. So I'm quite pleased just for the sake of my Twitter account. Right, okay, we'll take a quick break and then we'll finish off the podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy with Farrell, Coops and Adam. Uh, A couple of other bits of business that I wanted to bring about today. Um, Interesting game in France from a Fulham perspective, which was Lons versus Dijon. Thank you to George FFC for bringing this to our attention on Twitter. Said Seco Fafana opened the scoring and Abubakar Kamaru was sent off in the 75th (laughs) minute for Dijon. (laughs) Things we love to see. Oh, Wonderful. Yeah, three, three things certain in life death, taxes, and Abubakar Kamara to disgrace himself at his new club. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well well done, Abubakar. Because, yeah, we went to Turkey, didn't we, a couple of years ago? We were in the Premier League and missed um, the easiest open goal like I think you've ever seen. Um, it was kind of Ronnie Rosenthal vibes um not quite that bad but yeah <laughs> similar so so well done uh, abubakar uh, another question here from lunchtime 24 7 now that is a, a handle i can get behind um so we're all man united fans today yes we are that kicks off in four minutes uh, but what's your ideal result for palace versus brighton tomorrow i guess a draw keeps them both in touch though part of me thinks a palace l- loss would be nice to crank up the pressure on them it is interesting looking at palace and brighton we're now only four points off brighton so if they did lose tomorrow against palace and that weird derby that's not a derby um i guess it opens up all sorts of possibilities for Fulham. And and, and I, and I can't remember who said it earlier on in the podcast that we shouldn't just be focusing on Newcastle. I think it was Farrell. And yeah, what is the ideal result there tomorrow? Is it a draw? Yeah, nil-nil. <laughs> nil-nil draw, I think so. I mean... I disagree. I, I'd really actually like a Brighton win, Palace loss, because it puts them you know, firmly in that slump. It means we get a better chance at beating them on Sunday. Yeah, with all of their players oh, okay. suspended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a really brutal, horrible nil-nil draw in which yeah. all of them just get seven shades of shit kicked out of them, and they're <laughs> they're, they're both crocs, seven players off injured on either side. A real a real derby, as you as you like to point to, Sammy. This is it's like my not weird a derby. Affi- 
<laughs> it is a derby. It is a complete derby. It's it the A23 derby. derby. It's not a derby. It <laughs> is it because... Is it because you you are from like slap bang in the middle of them, and you know you got caught up in so much Palace Brighton banter growing up, and you were like, "It's not a derby, it's not a derby." Is is it? Is that what it is? I look. I've watched right the Copper ninety documentary on why Palace Brighton is a rivalry. The main reason is okay. There was a few tasty matches against each other in the seventies. What clubs didn't have a few tasty matches against each other in the seventies? Something that Terry Venables said, and actually one of the legitimate reasons why they say it's a rivalry is because Brighton called themselves the Seagulls, so Palace called themselves the Eagles in kind of some weird response. Their rivalry is about a nickname. <laughs> Give that me sounds strength. Like sounds like something that would happen in the NFL or something. <laughs> and if you can't think of a link, a good enough link between two clubs that you need to call the Derby over, uh, after a motorway, that let's that, that not forget, it's not even a proper motorway. It turns into an A road about halfway down it, right? It's not a rivalry and I will be on this hill until the day I die. And I've got plenty <laughs> of Brighton and Palace friends who will hate me for this, but yeah, not a Derby. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Bobby Zamora knows about that rivalry. I know how much he loves the rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> he he probably thinks it's the biggest rivalry on the planet. He probably thinks it's bigger than like Galatasaray Fenerbahce. If you ask him, like, Jesus <laughs> Christ! The one thing I don't want to happen is if like Palace like lose tomorrow and then Fulham beat Palace next week, and it could be like Roy Hodgson's last game he gets sacked before the end of the season or something that would be that in in it would make me one absolutely devastated because i just love roy hodgson so much and like the thought of fulham putting him to the knife is does make me somewhat a little sad but obviously i still want fulham to win don't don't get me wrong yeah i was gonna say like if it's the choice between fulham staying up or roy hodgson going down i'm sorry roy like i respect everything you ever did at this club but like there's just no there's just no debate he can come back and be director of football here or something like that you know we'll name a bar after him in the new riverside like he'll be (laughs) he'll be absolutely fine (laughs) right um michael jackson a michael jackson-esque roy hodgson statue (laughs) what (laughs) with a silver microphone (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Adam, what are you going to name the podcast today? I'm going to go with Kieran McGinley's mint three-word review of Geordie's Surely Nervous. Very, very nice. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, Fulhamish will be back on Thursday with myself, Jack and Peter. Uh, Adam, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Cheers, Sammy. And performing your secretarial duties to the highest standard uh, expected. Uh, Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Thank you very much, everyone. It's good to commentate and talk about an actual victory. I think it's my first time this season. Oh, you had a curse as well. I didn't know. I mean, I actually don't know that for sure. But I mean, we've only won a handful of times this season. It's very likely. I haven't talked about a single one yet. Yeah, it isn't like we've won 20 games this season that haven't been on the podcast. Like, there's only been four. Like, it's not like we've been winning every other week. Um, uh, George Cooper, thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure, Sammy. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been on the pod. It's great to be back. I was starting to wonder whether there was a clause in the athletic contract that said that I could only be wheeled out for cup games. But it's good to be back. (laughs) Yeah, celebrating three points. Come on, you whites. You performed in the cup games and you got a run out in the league. Um, Coops, thank you very much. Okay, well, we will be back on Thursday. Have a good week. Come on, you whites. Come on, you whites. You whites.